0: LifeWay Lifeway. Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network.
1: This is the Unseen Leadership Podcast, where we explore the unseen stories that shaped leaders into who they are today.
2: Like, what does it mean to commit to something and get good at it, even when it's difficult? And so much of faithfulness starts with putting out the chairs. So much of faithfulness starts with doing the things that nobody else wants to do.
0: Well, welcome to the Unseen Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Chandler Vinoy, here with my guest co-host, Mike Kelsey. He decided to come back after the first episode. Hey, I
1: didn't blow it, man. Appreciate you having (laughs) me uh, back on. Uh, Man, we're excited to talk with actually a good friend of mine, Jonathan Pogluta. Everybody calls him JP. Uh, He's the lead pastor of Harris Creek Baptist Church in Waco, Texas, was formerly the leader of The Porch. In Dallas, which is where uh, I originally met him, and uh, The Porch grew to be the largest weekly young adult gathering of its kind in the country, and he's also an author of a couple of books, including his latest uh, called Outdated, which is it's about dating y'all got to pick it up JP is good to have you on man
2: hey guys thanks for having me on I, I know why I'm here because it's the unseen leadership and so you guys are like hey we haven't seen any leadership from you and so we'd love we'd love to just talk with you about how that is how your leadership continues to go unseen so man this is great this is perfect i yeah, we don't want my- yeah, I've been training my whole life for this.
0: We didn't want to include that in the email, but I'm glad you caught the gist.
1: Yeah, I got it. <laughs> Just I'm, getting I'm it there, all, man.
2: I'm with you, <laughs> but
1: JP. JP. My my favorite memory of you before we even get into questions, bro, is inviting you to McLean Bible Church Young Adult Retreat. I did not know you at the time. We were staying in this little lodge, like on site at this camp place where we were having it. And bro, you were sitting on the couch. You were you were singing at the top of your lungs by yourself. (laughs) That sounds like I was like, this dude really he doesn't care at all. Like he doesn't you didn't know none of us. (laughs) I don't (laughs) even know, bro. It did not sound like singing was your professional career, but he did not seem to it's
2: it's see I sing like I lead, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Were you were you at McLean for that men's conference? Uh, I I yeah okay. So there was this moment in that men's conference. I'll never forget where I was just like, I was, I was teaching on David and, and tying that to like moral purity. And, and I was talking about my own story and struggles with pornography. And in this message, there was like this buildup, like, Hey, you know, you probably asking, how can he talk about porn so freely. And I go, it's because I'm free and just kind of yell and like pump my fist in the air. And this dude just stands up right in the middle of the audience. And he's like, I want to be free. And I was like, oh, I was like, oh, wow. And then somebody else stood up and I want to be free too. And then somebody else, somebody else was like, man, what just happened? That was awesome. Yeah. I was like,
1: clearly we have a lot more pastoral work to do.
0: Uh (laughs) (laughs) It was so good though. It was so good. <laughs> well, JP, uh, Mike mentioned it at the top. You just came out with a book called Outdated, and I've been keeping up with the release of it. And one of the most fascinating things about this is you are actually doing an arranged marriage alongside the yeah. book release, right? So, yep. what has that been like, and what's your
2: goal with that? Yeah, man. So to those who are fans of it, I would say absolutely an arranged marriage. Uh, basically, we had 1,300 applicants. Uh, so there's, wow. definitely a, there's definitely a desire out there for this. Um, we asked them questions. They filled out a, a questionnaire survey. Uh, we, they gave references, put a team together unbiased. So I actually wasn't even in the room who kind of narrowed it down then I got involved and did phone interviews with the people and to the best of our ability, made sure they were telling the truth and then we narrowed it down to a couple. So we've actually chosen the couple to those who are not fans of it. I would say it's essentially a blind date, right? I mean, we're, we're, I, I'm not going to make anybody get married, nor do I desire to, I've told each person, Hey, I don't, I don't want to put any undue pressure on you, you know, to make this work or anything like that. I'm just telling you that based on my limited information and limited experience with you in your life and the questions we've asked, I think that you guys would make a good couple. And that's kind of the, that's a bit of the premise of the book that, if you understand what marriage is and you understand that dating is a pathway to it, then you can, I don't want to say make it work, but you kind of have the upper hand on finding someone that you can partner with in life. And so, uh, yeah, that's where we're at. They haven't met yet. They're going to meet on the 27th. That's the first time said that. And, uh, and you know, he's a air force pilot and she loves to travel and adventure. They both love Jesus most importantly. And yeah. We'll see what happens. So
0: 1,300 applicants, even just that story right there. I feel like there's like a reality show or something Dude. stirring up right there. <laughs> I don't, don't think I haven't thought about it. <laughs> hey, Waco Waco's known for some of those. So I'm maybe you can you. hop on. Yeah, we need an alternative to the bachelor, bro. I'm telling the
2: Christian, (laughs) the Christian bachelor. We've been, we, it's in the works. I don't know if it's going to happen, but it's in the
0: works, (laughs) man. That's a whole podcast in and of itself. But we'll hop into the questions here. Uh, and JP, thanks for joining us today. Excited to hear about your journey and, and how the Lord has worked your story to be where you are. So, If you would just walk us through a quick overview of the different leadership roles you've been in over the years to, to lead you where you are today at Harris Creek.
2: Yeah. And leadership roles. I think, um, so I graduated. So my story is a little bit different than your typical Christian leader in that I was a pagan in college. I didn't have my act together. I barely graduated high school. I've never liked to read. You guys are probably going to ask me some questions on reading because readers are leaders and I'll just give you the punchline up front. I'm I'm not a big reader, never have been. And I went to a two-year technical college. I studied art. I have the most worthless degree on the planet Earth. And uh, I graduated somehow, some way and looked for a job i walked through i didn't know where to go to look for a job so i went to the mall it wasn't open so i prayed i'm not even a christian but i'm in the mall parking lot praying that guy would give me a job i walk into the mall and this girl from abercrombie walks up and is like hey what's your story i was like man that's i was like i'm looking for a job she's like you want to work at abercrombie i was like man yeah this is how this prayer thing works (laughs) and so uh they ended up long story short hired me as a manager of an abercrombie in dallas and so this was really one of my first occupational leadership roles. And it was really interesting because you're, you're leading people who are making minimum wage and do not give a rip about the company, your success. Uh, I remember a guy uh, called in sick multiple times because he was hung over and just said, hey, I can't come into work today. And so you, you're you're navigating those kinds mm-hmm. of situations. And and what I had drawn on is I had to write one paper in college that was the difference between leadership and management. And I remember that mm-hmm. like doing the research for that paper having a profound impact in how I managed these people at Abercrombie & Fitch. But from there, I went into telecom. And then from telecom, uh, that's really when, where I got saved. and met Jesus, understood that he was my Lord and savior, had died for my sins, had raised from the dead, placed my faith in him. And that really introduced me to just lay leadership in the church. And so my first lay leadership role is my sales were my background. And so I was like leading this team in following up with people who had shown interest in the church, but had kind of like disappeared and and we needed to check in and just see how they were doing. So I basically built a call team for the, for the church. And I was doing that as soon as I would get off work and just go and, and lead that team. Mm-hmm. And then, and I say that story because then the guy that I was serving under ultimately ended up hiring me. The Lord called me to vocational ministry in kind of a miraculous road to Damascus kind of way. And the guy that I served under said, Hey, I see some leadership gifts in you and I'd love to bring you on staff. And that's, that's how I hired. So got hired. Mm-hmm. So from there, it was really, he didn't hire me to preach. I was a community director. I was over small groups for young adults and I would do announcements at this ministry called the porch. And then ultimately that guy left. And then I started teaching there. So I got to lead in, in all of those different capacities, as a volunteer, then leading volunteers and then leading the ministry with, with a bunch of volunteers.
1: <laughs> was, was that a hard shift for you, man? Like coming out of the, the kind of broader marketplace into, into working at a church? Yeah.
2: Yeah. It was, it was, I mean, it, it would have been a really challenging shift. So, I mean, we were, I was everything wrong with Dallas and a person, you know, I was pretentious. I wanted to be a millionaire before I was 30. When I moved there, I was into the club scene. And I mean, I was at a club when somebody invited me to church. I went hung over, sat in the back row and gave my life to Jesus. And And so, I mean, I got a Jaguar S type, a different watch for every day of the week. And I I don't mean this to be a flex at all. I mean, it's just like who I was and and it was, and I wasn't a great human being. I had the penthouse condo, you know, and then, and then I like, I get married and this, you know, Monica marries this account manager, the global account manager for AT&T and then, you know a year and a half in a marriage. I'm like, Hey, I think I'm going to go into ministry. And so, and she was working too. So we went dual income, no kids to single pastor's income because she got pregnant in the midst of that. And so the financial aspect, there was a lot of fear and concern with that. The credibility aspect. I remember I was on staff at a church and somebody asked me who wrote first and second Timothy and I looked at him and I was like, Timothy, duh, you know, and I'm and now people give have they given me the title of pastor, by the way, it's Paul. And and so <laughs> it's like I have no idea what I'm talking about and what I'm doing. So for all of those reasons it was hard. Why it wasn't hard is because I was sitting at my desk one day and really since the Lord saying you're going to go into vocational ministry and I'm not a God said kind of guy, like that's not something I throw around. And so when I began to respond to that, you know, I had friends and wise counsel say, Hey, you need to pray about this. You need to search his word, Mm -hmm. confirm it, you know? And, and then five days later, five days after that moment, a guy from the church called and said, Hey, I have a job I want you to consider. And I was like, man, I'll serve anywhere. Tell me where to be and when he's like, no, no, no. Like a, like a job to interview for. And so God was just so big in that moment. I, I, hey, I'd go anywhere. I'd do anything. But, um, but I, I think just the, the challenges of leadership at that stage are all the insecurities. Mm-hmm. Everybody mm-hmm. goes through imposter syndrome, where I remember for six years, I would sit in staff prayer. That was our staff meeting. And I'd look around the room and I'm like, when are these people going to find out that I don't deserve to be here? You know that I, I should not be in this room like I have no idea what I'm doing and nobody should follow me I'm I don't even think I want them to follow me for the right reasons I'm still that insecure kid that didn't get chosen to you know play kickball in sixth grade like that's who I feel like and uh, I'm afraid that I'm going to you know take out my father wound and insecurities on the people that I'm trying to lead and and if you know, you fast forward the tape. I mean, that's what a lot of pastors do. That's what a mm. lot of people do in my position. And I think I'm sure I've done that in seasons. And I was just saying, man, it is by the grace of God alone that, uh, he he's allowed what some would call ministry success.
0: Mm. You know, Absolutely. you mentioned a lot of people, just as, uh, Mike was saying in, in the bio, you know, the porch grew to one of the largest, if not the largest weekly gathering of young adults in the country. And you're like, Hey, I started there. I was just, you know, I was doing announcements and then the guy left and I took over. And so many people would look at that story. Probably even people who were sitting in that crowd listening to you preach would go, man, I want to be JP, but they probably wouldn't have signed up to do announcements. They probably wouldn't have signed up to, to do something other than have the spotlight on them. So what did those, those that time where you weren't the the main person leading or you weren't preaching, what did it do to teach you what you needed before you were actually the one leading the movement? Yeah. You know, Eugene Peterson calls it long obedience
2: in the same direction. And I think that's the biggest mistake that young leaders make is, is we underestimate what we can do with long obedience in the same direction. And we, we way overestimate, um, what we can do in a short period of time. And so we're kind of like Esau ready to sell our soul for a, a, a sell our birthright for a cup of stew. And I, I think we must learn as leaders, delay gratification and faithfulness and faithfulness is walking, you know, putting one foot in front of the other. I was just with a, a, a good friend of mine. I'm not name dropping he's, he's a good friend for a, just, just, a it's a really interesting story, but Micah Tyler, who's a musician and, you know, he, his story is he paid to go on tour with these guys. So most people get paid to go on tour. He paid to go on tour and, and, And the Lord just kept using these small acts of obedience and he stitched them together to to make him who he is today, which is a recording artist on the radio. And that's what I would say to young leaders is every moment is training for a future moment. Like amazing fathers and amazing husbands don't just happen. They train to be that when they're 15, 16, 17, 18 years old. I mean, the choices that you make as a 17-year-old, no 17-year-old is thinking, Oh, I'm training to be a great great husband or great father right now. And yet so many people make the mistake of walking down the aisle. You know, you may kiss your bride and thinking, okay, now I'm going to be amazing at this thing that I've never trained for. You know, I know I've been addicted to pornography mm-hmm. since the fifth grade. Mm-hmm. I know that I've done whatever I want to do. I know that I've dated and trained for divorce because every relationship that's gone South, I've just broken up with, but I'm confident that I'm going to be great at this. Mm. It's the same. It's the same false arrogance that I see in the disciples in Mark 10. You know, they, they say, which of us, can be considered your right and your left in your kingdom. And Jesus is like, you don't know what you're asking. Like, can you, can you drink the cup that I will drink? Can you be baptized with the baptism that I'll be baptized with? And and they don't even pause. It's just like almost all mm-hmm. caps. We can exclamation point. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you, and, and you, I see this in Gen Z. I see this in millennials. It's, it's whatever you're wanting us to do. Sure. I stayed at a holiday and express last night. I can do it. Like, <laughs> let's go. I, I'll, I'll figure it out. And I, th- I think we have to consider the, you know, what they call the the infamous 10,000 hours. Like, what does it mean to commit to something and go, get good at it, even when it's difficult? And so much of faithfulness starts with putting out the chairs. So much of faithfulness starts with doing the things that nobody else wants to do. Uh, my mentor always says, you know, Pharaoh never misses his Joseph. If you look at Pharaoh, he's always like, he's like, man, what's going on in this field over here? Why is this flourishing? Oh, Joseph's there. Well, what's going on in the palace? Like, why is this going so well? Oh, Joseph's there. Well, what's going on over there in in Egypt? Like, why is that area of Egypt flourishing? Oh, there's Joseph. And all of a sudden you start to see this, like in the, in these acts of faithfulness that surround this person. He's like, well, listen, well, why don't you be in charge of my kingdom then? because you've been faithful. Mm -hmm. And I, and I, I think we want to graduate from college and have the CEO position. And I would just say it's so much better and healthier for an individual. If you graduate from college and you're, you're taking out the trash and you're faithful with taking out the trash. So then they say, all right, now you're in the copy room and you're faithful in the copy room. So they say, all right, now you're over here in the mail room and you're faithful in the mail room. So they say, all right, why don't you oversee floor, 7 and they're faithful with that and they said why don't you oversee the building you know
1: mm. that's huge man and i think a lot of a lot of young leaders just need to to hear that and uh, it's helpful too hearing your story man and, and hearing that that faithfulness, moment to moment, opportunity to opportunity. Was there um, a pivotal moment though for you? I know one of them was getting that tap on the shoulder to to, to come take that job that you you thought was just going to be something else, but they actually wanted you on staff. Was there another pivotal moment that you would say kind of marked your life and leadership?
2: Yeah, Mike. I think the I think the lesson that I can't learn and yet God has taught me time and time again is that it it will never be enough. And what I mean by it will never be enough is is there is this ambition in me? There's There's a drive in me. you know, cor- corporate America calls it drive. Uh, I think the scripture probably calls it selfish ambition. You know, do nothing out of a selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in consider uh, but in humility, consider others more important than yourself. I think that I can remember, sitting at Watermark. That was the church in Dallas that I was working at. And I, I remember like these guys, these leaders would go in this room and they would make decisions where the doors would be closed and they'd be in there and then they all get out of that, come out of that room and they'd all go to lunch and they were always, you know, cutting up and having a good time. And it just, they they represented authority and autonomy to me. And and as a young person in ministry, I thought, man, I just want to be in that room. <laughs> and I can remember sitting in the audience and listen to Todd preach and think, man, like why not me, God? Like, why not me? I want to preach. I want to preach more. Like, I, man, I, I think I can do that. I think I can do that. And then I can remember thinking, you know, looking at my finances, I thinking, man, I just wish I made a little bit more money, you know, like this pastor thing, making these ends meet, like this is not this is not easy. Like we're really struggling. And I'm kind of looking back to, to think through, gosh, should I go back to the corporate world? Like, should I do this? So I like, I wanted to be in that room. That team was that, that executive team was called B team. Um, I wanted to make more money and I wanted to preach on Sunday. And, and this is what I wanted, like more than anything in the world. And the elders of the church called this meeting. And I remember it at one of the elders house and I was invited, which was not normal. You know, I didn't go to elders meetings mm. and I went and I showed up to this guy's house and, and, you know, I, I go inside and we go to, into his office and we're all sitting there and, and the, the meeting starts and they say some encouraging things to me and they say, Hey, so there's, there's three things that we really want to, to change about your job today. One is we'd like to bring you on B team. We think that you would have something to offer that management team. Uh, two, we we would like you to start preaching thirty percent of every Sunday, all Sunday. So we'd like to to kind of change your role into teaching pastor and that have you teach on Sundays more. And then three, we want to give you a raise, and it's a significant raise, um, you know, to to represent the responsibilities that that we're now changing. And I was like, whoa, you know, it's like that's everything I wanted. <laughs> and guys, I got in my car. So the meeting adjourned. And I got in my car and I didn't go anywhere. I sat in my car. And as I was thanking God for his kindness, I just started weeping. Like mm-hmm. I'm talking violently crying because the sadness that, that just like f- I felt inside because I just, I I had handed, everything was handed to me on the silver platter of everything that I thought I wanted and it just wasn't enough. And I said that out loud in my car by myself out loud. I said, God, it will never be enough. You're the only one that will ever satisfy me. As long as I'm feeding my drive in this world, I'm never going to find any satisfaction like Solomon. There, it's vanity. It's vanity. It's meaningless. There's nothing under the sun that's going to satisfy me. And so I think that was a pivotal moment because what it did afterwards is it allowed me to reframe. Frame everything mm. with the right reason. And I'm not saying I did it once and done, put it in cruise control and I was there forever, but it, it did give me that perspective of like, okay, I can do this now for the right reasons, because there's, there's the wrong reasons aren't going to satisfy me. So mm. if I'm preaching or writing books or doing podcasts for any reason, other than the renown and fame and glory of Jesus Christ, it's not going to satisfy me. Mm And so I just need to keep the main thing, the main thing,
0: man, that's so good. I, I recently read a book it was called rescuing ambition by Dave Harvey. And he was Mm -hmm. talking about in the first chapter, um, I mean, how we all have ambition and it's not always a bad thing to have ambition. Like the Lord has placed that in you. And I hear you that I hear you saying that, like, Hey, I did have a desire to preach. You did. God gave you that gift, Mm -hmm. but he was also, I mean, it's exactly what you said. He was saying, if that ambition is not to glorify God and it's to glorify yourself, like it's, it's wasted. So what would you say? Like somebody's sitting there and they're having those same thoughts you are, they're sitting there on Sunday morning, listening to their pastor going, I can do that. Or they want to be in that room. They want to be the one making the decision. Mm -hmm. What would you say to check motives and to be like, why do I actually want this? Is it because I want to glorify God or is it because man, I want my name to be the one who's on B team. I want to be the one preaching. Yeah.
2: The guy that I'm most skeptical of is the one that says, man, I know, I checked my heart, and I I know I want to do it for the glory of God, because that dude's a liar. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, 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 because because they're they're both there, they're always both there. Like whoever mm. we could think of that that the three of us really respect as a preacher and a and a, and a person of God, a God fearing individual. I know that if we asked that person and they were honest with us, that they would say, Hey, there there is always selfish ambition sitting right beside kingdom ambition. Mm. And so I think to to one, acknowledge that, to make sure you're honest with yourself that, hey, there's a part of me that wants to do this because I want the spotlight on me and I want people to see me as the person with the solutions to their problem. And I want that affirmation and I want them to want to line up afterwards and want to talk to me. And, you know, I, I want that, the fringe benefits. And, you know, where that's different is, you know, for our brothers and in Iran or Afghanistan or, you know, closed countries where they they face prison sentences every day in the name of the gospel. Parts of China. Right. I mean, this, that's where that's different. For me, that's the thing that was so pure about going into ministry in the first place is it wasn't there was it was all cost. It, I, that's naive and stupid to say but it felt like all cost, you know, it felt like, okay, my, my income is about to be cut by, by a sliver of a fraction. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to do something that I have no training in formal training in, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm really going to be setting out chairs. Nobody's going to know who I am, but I think I'm supposed to do this. And I look back on that moment with, with great, just like a fondness, like a, a strong affection of my heart. And then when I started preaching, you know, it really muddied the waters because it's like, now people are affirming you, like you go out to eat. And all of a sudden the bills paid for, because they're like, Oh, mm-hmm. you know, Hey, somebody goes to your church and they took care of your food. And, and then like, you know, people are like, Hey, why don't you go stay at my lake house or whatever? You know, you have these things that that are offered to you and it's so easy to say, man, am I still doing this for the right reason? Mm-hmm. And so to that person that's sitting out there, I would say, man, you need to acknowledge there's a part of you that wants to do it for the wrong reason. And do not let bitterness grow that God has not given that to you yet, because the truth is the king's heart are like watercourses in his hands. He directs them however he pleases. And if you're not preaching, it really is the sovereignty and kindness of God that is holding that opportunity at bay. Man, like, can I just be real for a moment? Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, this would be a therapy session.
1: Outdated, right? We're talking <laughs> yeah, about outdated. It, bro.
2: Outdated. <laughs> Uh, and again, I, I don't mean I'm, I'm being I'm turning my thoughts into words in a, in a vulnerable way that, that may come across as arrogant. I don't mean for them to outdated sold in week one, three times what was, you know, the number 10 on the New York times bestseller list. So it outsold that book by, by a margin of, of, of two or three times. And, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I told you about my ambition, like I'd love to be on that list. And so when I didn't make it on that list and when I felt like I should have made it on my, on that list, like, it's so easy for me to say, I got robbed. I'm mm-hmm. outraged. Like, why was this withheld from me? There's been an injustice, but at the end of the day, that wasn't a surprise to God. And I had to, I had to match all of that with, okay, God's protecting me from something there. There's something down that path that, that he knows that I can't handle. And, and that's his kindness. And I believe it's his kindness because while I might think they made a mistake, the editors made a mistake. I know God didn't make a mistake. And so I, I, I can I'm I'm now faced with the decision. Do I want to feed my bitterness and feed this narrative or do I want to continue to walk in faithfulness? And so to that person sitting outside in that pew saying, hey, I should do that or looking at their CEO saying, hey, God, why not me? Right. All they need to do is, is start to answer that question maybe why not me? (laughs) You know, like what, (laughs) what could God be protecting me from? Because there's probably some things that if you were honest with yourself or you ask someone who would be honest with you, that you'd be able to identify.
0: Mm. Mm. Well, Hey, before we get to the next question, let's take a moment and hear from our sponsor. No matter how many people you have on staff at your church, there's only so much you can accomplish in a day, right? Your church exists to serve your community. So the mission of your church and its staff is to reach as many people as you can. That's why productivity is essential for churches as most of your church's success lies in its ability to lean into and leverage resources for optimum performance. And thankfully, our friends at Belay know this well. Belay is an innovative staffing solution with over 10 years of experience serving churches. And they have successfully matched thousands of organizations with part-time virtual assistants, bookkeepers, and social media strategists. That's why they're offering our listeners a free download of their resource, Church Leaders, Essential Strategies to Unleash Productivity. Let Belay help your church live its mission in your community by helping you juggle less and accomplish more. Just go to Belay, that's B-E-L-A-Y, solutions.com slash lifeway for your free download. So what was, you know, getting started as a young leader? I'm sure there were mistakes made, especially jumping front. You, you talked about, hey, I'm jumping into this thing with without any training. I'm kind of learning on the fly. What were what was maybe the biggest mistake as a young leader getting started?
2: Yeah, man. The big, I don't know if it's the biggest mistake, right? So it, it, I'll struggle with that EST word, but it, it was a big mistake that I, I made, that I continue to make, and I see so many others make, is I'm constantly tempted to think that leadership is all about authority. And like, I just need more authority. If somebody would just do a better job of knighting me, then, you know, people would follow me and it would be so much easier. And Jesus is such a brilliant teacher. I mean, he's 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 a lot of things, right? He's, he's the savior of the world and the son of God, but he is among those things, a brilliant teacher. And he says in Mark 10, in that same passage I represented, uh, I referenced earlier, after James and John are like, who can sit at your right and your left in your glory. And he's like, you don't know what you're asking. Can you do this? they're like, we can. He he says, but you haven't even defined greatness correctly because he says, you know, those who uh, are rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And they're like, yeah, the Romans, they, They exercise authority over us. And he goes, but not so with you, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be the greatest must be slave of all. And then he says this in verse 45, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as ransom for many. And so anytime we see leadership in the scriptures, it's really defined as service, right? Certainly greatness in the scriptures is defined as service. and. so we have to start by thinking everybody wants the corner office, you know, mm-hmm. and the parking spot and the book deals and the podcasts and the fame and the, and the Instagram followers, you know, everybody thinks they want that, but they don't want to put in the, the, the service that it, that it takes to get there in a way that's healthy mm-hmm. because our soul was not made for the weight of glory. Like we have to offload that weight onto the sturdy shelf of Jesus. And and we constantly want to pursue that glory for ourselves, right? And so I think the mistake that I make is is define leadership or at least say what is necessary for me to lead well is just more authority and just more authority. Mm -hmm. If I just had more authority and never think that what gives me the opportunity to lead is really to serve people, mm. and I'll, I'll just I'll quantify that with you know there there was one girl that um, I worked with. Remember, I remember her dog died, and I and I knew she loved her dog, you know, and her dog died. Or I'm sorry, her dog didn't die; it it got got away, like ran away, and um, and I and she lived far away. She actually lived in another town, and I just got in my car and drove over there. And I just knocked on the door and I remember, sh- and she opened the door and she opened the door and I was there and she just collapsed on the floor, like in tears. And it was a really big deal that her dog ran away. And I knew that, I mean, everybody, everything's a different big size, size of a deal to different people. It was really me serving her in that moment and and expressing, showing kindness to her that she saw as a, as a, a ex- exorbitant amount of kindness or, or grace, uh, a gracious amount of kindness And then from that moment on, she's like, hey, I'll follow you anywhere you go. You know, I had no idea. That's not why I did it. That wasn't my motive. I didn't know that that's what was going to happen. In hindsight, looking back at that, I just know that that's what happened. And so I think that when we don't define leadership as service, I think that's a mistake that young people make. Certainly Mm -hmm. I did.
1: Man, so you're talking about mistakes in in leadership. I want to pivot, man, to, to your book, because uh, you're tapping into some stuff, man, in this book outdated that a lot of young leaders need to hear because a lot of young leaders, uh, I would say, are making mistakes in leadership. When I when I first started in pastoral leadership, I was dating my now wife and uh, and one of the mistakes I was making, I didn't know it at the time, was taking too long. Uh, <laughs> but uh, listen, man, so so for a lot of young leaders, uh, relationships is something they're navigating alongside their, their personal leadership. And you said something in the book it's, it was a, this is a strong statement. You said modern dating is a failure Mm -hmm. and you said it's not producing the results, uh, that we want. So for young leaders that are, that are listening, they're leading, uh, getting started, uh, in in leadership, but they're trying to navigate the dating world. What advice man, would you give them? Yeah.
2: Well, just to back up and give that statement some weight. I mean, it is a failure and I can quantify it because you got to, 50% 50% divorce rate. And if you want to call it 40%, that's fine. 40% divorce rate. And, um, and then you have all of these people who remain married and they're unhappy. And so the the vast majority of marriages fail. And the way that we get those marriages is we date whoever we want and we follow our heart and it leads us to failure. <laughs> And so I would just say, you've got to figure out another way because the way we date today is really training for divorce because you get in a relationship. So you don't want to be in that relationship anymore. You don't feel like it. And then you get out and that's not training for marriage. That's training for Mm -hmm. divorce. And so to train for marriage correctly, we need to first understand what marriage is. So before any, I'm going to, before I'm going to find a partner for any assignment, right? I, I need to understand what the assignment is. Like I remember when in biology, I was choosing a partner and I chose the the most beautiful girl that I had a crush on and the assignment was to dissect a frog and I needed an A, but she didn't want to touch the frog. <laughs> and, and so I chose the wrong partner, you know? And so you got to understand the assignment of marriage, right? Ephesians five, Colossians three, first Peter three. And then, and then two, you got to know what qualities and character traits that partner, you know, what a, a good partner to you in that assignment would have, because you cannot find what you're looking for unless you know what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. And so you want to start and, be, and and think through okay, what qualities am I looking for in a partner and then how do I what experiences do I need to have with this partner to identify if they're actually good at this quickly and effectively? And that's really mm-hmm. what dating is. Dating intentional Is not sitting at your favorite restaurant ordering your favorite appetizers and your favorite drinks because that's not going to help you know if she's going to be a good mother to your children or he's going to be a good father to your children. Like that, you know, you want to think, okay, what are these environments? that we can approach. This is just logic. Mm. And, and so people always say, well, how do I know when I found the person? Why well, you just know, when you know, I say, man, there's nothing in life that we say that about, well, you just know when you know, like I know when I found the right milk because I'm reading my wife's description of what milk to look for <laughs> blue label, blue cap, 2% <laughs> organic gallon. And when I find it, I commit to it because that's what I was looking for. And so to find a spouse, you got to know what you're looking for. And so that's what I, I would say. You know, the biggest mistake that people make is they follow their heart and they follow their feelings when their feelings are constantly changing and instead of saying, all right, this is what I'm going to do. This is the assignment marriage. And so this is the kind of partner I need to find. And I begin to look for that partner. So I know when I found them.
1: Mm-hmm. That's
0: good, man. Um, if you- if you want to check out that book, just go on, you can find it at just Google outdated. You can find it on Amazon or anywhere that books are sold. So you're going to want to check it out. JP, thanks for writing it. Um, yeah, man. we're going to move to the quick hitter questions now, and these are just short one minute answers and we'll get started with this one. What is your ideal daily routine? So what time do you wake up, get into the office, all that good stuff?
2: Yeah, it changes if I'm honest, you know, I, I, it naturally, I would rather stay up late, but, uh, but i ministry forces you to get up early. So I usually get up about six. Um, Some days I work out with a friend. Some days I don't, Uh, then I get in the word. And so I'll I'll read a chapter a day with commentary and then I'll spend some time in prayer. And I use this model that I got from a book called a praying life by Paul Miller. And it has prayer cards and I'll use prayer cards that I'll kind of flip through in the morning. And then I'm off to work, off to meetings, depending on what day it is, sermon writing, and I'll, I'll run that, you know, I'll sprint till about five, usually home by five 30 and taking kids to basketball practice and that sort of thing. And then dinner with the family and, um, and then to bed that's most days, sometimes I'm <laughs> traveling, you know, and there, there are things yeah. that are, are disruptive to that.
1: Man, what's your favorite personality test? Oh, goodness.
2: The one that, the one that I'm actually most familiar with is DISC. The one that I find most helpful to me is Myers-Briggs. And then I do see value in the Enneagram. I am mm-hmm. confident some of your listeners are going to think that's from the devil. But, um, <laughs> but I, 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 you know, it's a quick, it's a quick label of somebody, it, you know, it does, it does, mm-hmm. it's helpful to me to know if, if an employee is an eight or a two, that's, that's mm-hmm. valuable.
1: Why is Myers-Briggs like more, more, helpful to you? I
2: think that, uh, I think that SJ, um, th- you know, the, that second and fourth letter tell me a lot about a, a person and the role that they should play in an organization. I'm high P like off the charge P, which tells me that I have a high value for flexibility. And so someone who works with me is, is going to need to know that, or I'm going to completely wear them out that, Mm. that everything stays fluid until it is. And, um, and that's not sin. Uh, you know, that, that is my personality. So an organization is going to, that I work in is, is most likely, or at least an organization that I lead is going to be adaptable. And, Mm. and if somebody's going to step into that organization, they're going to need to know that. And if they're SJ, um, that's going to come at a cost to them. And I like to surround myself with people different than me so that I, I am balanced and I'm committed to growing and be sanctified where I need to be. What's an unusual habit that helps you in your leadership? An unusual habit, unfortunately, it's
1: unusual, as I would say. Meditation. I know the answer to this. If you oh. if you don't say it, I'm going to say it. But sure. I, I'm going to let you finish first. <laughs> wonder, oh, I'm so curious. I'm going to let you give it. what you think the answer is, and <laughs> then I'm going to give it. I
2: love it. I love it. I'm excited. I don't know what you're going to say. So <laughs> I'll just <laughs> say it up front. It's, it's beatboxing for sure. Well, that's <laughs> I, I wondered. I wondered if you were going to say that, but then I was like, that's not a leader. That doesn't help me. At <laughs> uh, but I, meditation is the one I would go to behind beatboxing because, um, man, I just, you know, I, I guess about four years ago started struggling with anxiety and that's probably like the next podcast we should do together. Maybe if you guys would ever have me back, but and in it, and it, cause it was, it related to leadership. I mean, carrying too much. And I think it's something just broke inside of me. Mm. <laughs> and I just, you know, I'd always heard about prayer and the value of prayer, but I never thought about um just how God wired us for it like really like we can't we can't make it long without it And so not just prayer in a sense that God answers prayer but also prayer in what it does for us and um and and just how and so and not like you know 30 second prayers but like deep contemplative meditation just like fixing our mind on the things above and renewing our mind Romans 12 1 and 2. And so that's that, that would be the habit.
1: Dude, that's so good. And I, I know these are the quick hitter questions, man. But as I'm thinking about young leaders listening to this, I know what you're saying right now. For me, if I could have heard that when I was first starting, I, I feel like I was spinning my wheels for so long in my private spiritual life, even mm-hmm. though I had public ministry responsibilities. Yeah. And so, bro, what would you say to the young leader right now who's like, dude, I hear everybody talk about prayer. I hear everybody talk about needing to be quiet before the Lord. We, we, we interviewed Rich Villotis, uh, you know, a little bit ago talking about these same type of things. What would you say to that young leader in terms of how to actually get started in a regular practice of meaningful prayer?
2: I mean, there's so many, there's, I mean, there's technology now that will help you. And it's also the enemy, you know, I'll say that up front. Like, I think that probably the biggest enemy to our quiet time is our iPhone. Uh, And I will say that. On that, like C.S. Lewis says, so great as something's potential for evil, equally great as its potential for good on that apps like dwell and glorify and, and Christian mindfulness and meditation apps, um, I think are helpful. And so you put Mm -hmm. those in and that will help you create a habit of just sitting down for, you know, start with five minutes of just, you know, directing your thought to the things of God and then go 10 minutes and then go 15 minutes and -hmm. then go 30 minutes And then go 45, you know, and, and go, you know, to go to an hour or an hour and a half, is not crazy Mm. and uh, i I think god made us for it and Mm. it will feel unproductive and it may be the single most productive thing you ever do in your life i think one day we'll be face to face with jesus and we'll see our greatest moments of productivity were deep contemplative prayers Mm. and so you know here's the the deal to the young person i would just say it seems like you can get by without it because right now you can but one day you won't be able to And for me, everything came crashing down. I thought I was having a heart attack, pulled over on the side of the road, literally thought I was dying. Like literally thought I was dying. Mm -hmm. And you know, if, if I can spare you of that by you just learning from my mistake, man, that would be so much better than you having to go through it yourself.
1: That's gold, man. That's gold. And you made this next question. You may have just answered it, man, but what's, what's your favorite app on your phone? Yeah. I don't know that I answered it. My favorite app
2: would probably be let
1: me just look. Uh <laughs> you know, I if you say something like Candy Crush, bro, after you tell well <laughs> and all these like Well, my time,
2: my timer, I mean just true confessions, like the my time, my battery life would say Instagram is my favorite app. <laughs> but uh the one like I wouldn't want to live without is, is probably IMAPs. I'm so directionally challenged, man. And so I don't go anywhere without like punching in the address and letting it take, take me there. <laughs> I'm with you there, um, man. Um, oh, you know what? I'll, I'll give you a better, more spiritual answer. I do like my Bible app and I, I'll use it to prep sermons because I have it synced with my com my favorite commentary below. And mm-hmm. so like, I'll read a verse and then we'll have the commentary below. That's been extremely useful in preaching. And so I use an olive tree reader and I have the, I have my version of the Bible up top and I have the Bible knowledge commentary below and it's all synced up. And that's been really useful.
0: Do you do, you use that one during your quiet time? I
2: do, man. Okay. I, 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 well, sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't just kind of how I'm doing. So I'll, I read, I'm reading a, um, I'm going through a reading what is that called? Plan. It's called a Bible reading plan.org. Bible, the oh yeah, Bible reading plan.org. And I'm reading that with the church and it's just a chapter and a commentary. And so a lot of times I will read that on technology, but unless I feel like, okay, something's not right in my heart, man, I'm going to need to leave the phone in the other room. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know that I can overcome that temptation right now. I just need to go old school, grab the book and a pen and like, go do it. And so sometimes mm-hmm. I'll do that. <laughs>
0: What has been the best book you've read in the past six months?
2: The best book I've read in the past six months, man, it's like a, it's a, it's a, maybe a funny answer to you guys. (laughs) Have you ever read Love Does Bob Goff?
0: Bob Goff. Yeah. I've
2: not heard so many people talk about it. It's just like, man, that book. I don't know, man. I'm sure that Bob and I would like, disagree on some things theologically. But I and I and I, I'm assuming, but I cannot deny that he has led lived an extraordinary life mm. of loving people. And so it challenged me. And it's it's a version, honestly. So like crazy love and then um you know radical, right? And it's a version of that. It's kind mm. of in the same same genre, if you will. And those books just stretch me, man. Like I I like Mm -hmm. a book that I read and I feel like I'm not a Christian. (laughs) Just
0: getting beat up while you're reading it. um, It's great.
2: What's wrong with me? So
1: (laughs) what, uh, this might be a hard question to answer, but what one sentence advice would you give somebody who's going into a leadership position for the first time? If you could sit JP down when you're just starting out, what one sentence advice would you give?
2: pay attention to what you pay attention to. And so um your your greatest way to be self-aware is is to understand the thoughts you're feeding. God made us emotional beings. He wired us the way that we are, you know, in in Proverbs 4:23 he says, "More than you guard anything, like more than you guard your gold and your jewelry, more than you guard your money in your bank account FDIC insured, more than you guard your home with your alarm or your, or your truck, your vehicle, more than you guard anything, you need to guard your heart because what you feed your heart takes you places and you feed your heart with the things that, that come through your mind. And so pay attention to what you pay attention to, because that's how, even in this podcast, that's how you're going to reflect and find out like, Oh, I've been selfishly ambitious. Oh, I'm not wanting to do this for the right reasons. Oh, there are, there are parts of me that I'm, when I'm driving down the road, that what I care about is being exposed and and if you don't take the time to pay attention to what you pay attention to um your thoughts are going to take you to places you don't want to be and you know James tells us those those thoughts you know turn into sin and sin turns into death and so that's that's what I would say
0: Man, JP, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today and sharing about your leadership journey. And thank you for listening. We hope it's been helpful to you and your leadership. If it has, head on over to iTunes and leave us a rating or review so other leaders like yourself can find the podcast. See you next week. Thanks, guys.